0: Welcome, welcome, ladies. Are you excited? Yeah, our first lesson in Nehemiah. So tonight we are going to talk about acknowledging the need for restoration. But it seems as though the Lord wanted to take it into a direction of forgiveness, and you'll see why that happens. But turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Nehemiah one. We're going to read 1 through 4. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And it says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. And it says, Hananani... And I am going to mess up all these Jewish names. I always do. So I'm just warning you ahead of time because there's a lot of them in here. So I'm going to completely destroy each one because I'm not Hebrew. But um, anyway, it says, One of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Let's open in prayer. O oh, Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to have your word, and specifically this amazing story that tells us all about restoration. And there's so many lessons that we will be able to gleam from this book. And so I would ask that you just anoint this time, that you would open each one of these ladies' hearts to hear exactly what you want to speak in each, into each one of their lives. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the title is Acknowledge the Need or Recognize the Need for Restoration. And need for what? Well, in Nehemiah's case, it was the need for restoring the wall and the city of Jerusalem itself. But how did he arrive at this decision? How did a man who was a cupbearer for a king of a foreign country come to be a rebuilder of the wall of walls and city of Jerusalem. I mean, why did he even care? I mean, he had it great in Babylon. He was a butler, as we learned last week. Um, yes, he is the cupbearer, and he has to taste the wine every time to make sure it wasn't poisoned. But obviously, he hadn't been poisoned yet because he was still alive, right? So he had it pretty good. He lived in the palace, and he had three square meals a day. You know, he had it good. So why would he care about what's going on in Judah? And then specifically the city of Jerusalem. Well, he just very much cared for the people there. And so with God, timing is everything. He had Nehemiah in that exact spot at that exact time because He was orchestrating something behind the scenes. And we learned last week that there was a prophecy concerning the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And that prophecy was that after a certain amount of years, it was 400 and something years, that's when Jesus would come on the scene. That's when Jesus would walk into that city. And so it starts that prophecy. So, of course, God orchestrated the timing so that Nehemiah, a godly man, would be in the right place at the right time. And God does that for each one of us. Timing is everything with God. You know, sometimes we want to do something and we're gung-ho to do it, but God says, no, not yet. You're not ready. It's in my timing because I will know when you're ready to do something. And so when his brother or his brethren came for a visit, he was compelled to ask about the Jewish people. He cared enough to ask about them. And so if you remember from last week, we found out that King Artaxerxes had allowed some of the Jewish people to return to their homeland. And that is who is being spoken of here. And this was found in the book of Ezra. And now 13 years has gone by and Nehemiah hears that the city is still in ruins. You know, he was probably thinking, well, all those people went back to the city of Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple and the king was going to help him with that. How can it not be that the city is not rebuilt? Yes, the temple was rebuilt, but not the city. And so he was devastated when he heard the news. But what could he do? He was just a cupbearer, you know, throughout the history of humankind Ordinary people have done extraordinary things, things that nobody ever thought that they could do. And I'll give you a couple of them. Uh, Walt Disney was once fired from a newspaper. And the reason was is because his editor said he wasn't creative enough. <laughs> right? Did you know that Jim Denny, the manager of the Grand Ole Opry, fired Elvis Presley, after one performance, saying he didn't had, have what it took to be successful. Can you imagine? Oh, I'd love to have been there when he found out that he was a big hit. But anyway, that's just me. Um, did you know that when Beethoven, so there's Elvis Presley, sorry about that. Um, did you know that when Beethoven was 46 years old, he had become completely deaf and yet went on to compose his greatest work, including five symphonies? So how did these people accomplish that? They were determined. And so we will see that Nehemiah was determined to restore the city. So what did he do first? He prayed. I mean, that's what we all need to do. The first thing we need to do when we know that something needs to be restored, if it's our relationship with the Lord, the first thing we should do is pray. If it's our relationship with other people, the first thing you need to do is pray. We need that the Holy Spirit guiding and directing in these areas. So what is the lesson that we can learn today? Well, acknowledge or recognize the need for restoration, and we're going to look at what needs to be restored in our own lives. And yeah, I can only come up with two. The first one is the most important one. We need to be restored to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's like the most important thing. If we haven't done that, then all of this is mute. And then we need to be restored with others. And that includes everybody. That's, you know, marriages, husbands, wives, uh, kids, parents, co-workers, you name it, that falls in that others category. And so the first one first one we're going to look at is our relationship with our Creator. And so what is our first step to restoration with our Creator? Well let's look at Acts three, nineteen through twenty. And it says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Doesn't that sound nice, refreshment? It's like when you're really dried up, nothing quite does the trick as a cold glass of water. And this is very simple, but sometimes so difficult for us, isn't it? We want to hang on to our little pet sins that we have because we think we need them. But God is telling you, you don't need those. I want to give you refreshment. See, sometimes our relationship with the Lord just gets so dry, and you need those times of renewal and refreshment. Uh, when Jeff and I were with the high schoolers up at Namath Lakes, any of your kids go? Any here? Okay, we have one parent there. Um, we had such a blast. We we loved it. And we took the kids on a hike. This was the high schoolers. Took them to the most, one of the most beautiful places, I think, um, up there. It's called Rainbow Falls for obvious reasons. And the kids were really excited about it. But, you know, when you're at high altitudes like that, you get really dried up. And a fire had gone through, so a lot of the forest had been burnt. And so we... Uh, We took this group of high schoolers, told them over and over and over and over and over that they need to bring plenty of water. And they go, oh, yeah, we've got plenty of water. Well, as it turned out, no, they did not have plenty of water. We should have measured it, you know. They would have, like, these little cups, you know, that kind of thing. And so what was happening is they drank up all their water on the way down. They had to hike down to the falls, and then they had to hike back up. Okay, two miles down, two miles up, and then they drank all their water before they got to the falls, and so they're begging us, can we please go down to the falls, you know, oh, it just looks so refreshing down there, we said, absolutely not, as you can see, there are cliffs, you know, you can't go anywhere near that, we didn't want them down there. You know, especially parents wouldn't want their kids down there. So anyway, we said, well, we're just going to have to hike back because that's where the water is. And at the end of the trail, there's this little uh, country store where you can get water. And we go, okay. So we start hiking up, and oh, my goodness, so much drama. Um, you know, we had this. We had this one gal. She just lay down in the middle. She was so exhausted, so tired. She lay down in the middle of the trail. And anyway, okay, come on, come on. We got to get up. It's only two miles. You can do this. And then we had to bribe them. You know, it's pretty bad when you have to start bribing them. Okay, you guys get to the country store. We'll buy you ice cream. Okay, that got them another. You know, maybe a quarter mile up. And then the drama started again. Oh, we're gonna die. I'm so thirsty. I'm so hot. And we go, okay, you will survive. It's only two miles. So we finally get to the country store, and the first thing they do, they want to guzzle their water. Oh, it was so refreshing. And then, you know, we gave them ice cream, and all was well. It was like, you know, they were never tired. They were, like, bouncing off the walls again like normal high schoolers. And so, you know, nothing ever satisfies like water, does it? It's the thing that really refreshes you. Jesus, in John four thirteen. says, Excuse me, John four thirteen and 14 says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So is Jesus talking about physical water here? Of course not. He's talking about spiritual water. The water that refreshes the soul. Like a drink of cool water when you're all dried up. You know, your mouth is dry. You see, God desires to restore us in our relationship with him. And he is waiting for us to respond to his kindness and his forgiveness. He's just waiting, saying, please come back. And the only thing that we have to do is respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit... And turn from our sin. And you know what's great about our Lord is that we can wander really far away from Him, but it only takes one step back to be with Him again. And that is, Lord, I'm sorry. So that's how we are restored to the Lord. But how does He do this? How does He refresh us? Well, I love the Psalms. Psalms 103, 1 through 5, tells us, Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know this, this is a worship song and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your distresses, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. Allow God to restore you. That is the first step. It's just saying, Lord, I need to be restored. And let him be Lord of your life. Just surrender. We fight that so much, but we must surrender to him. All right, the second restoration is others. Now, this one's tricky. Uh, There's three ways this can go. Number one, you want restoration, but the other party is not willing Number two, you both want restoration, you're good. You know, that makes it so much easier when you both want restoration. Or the third one is you don't want restoration. But you know, the answer to every one of these is forgiveness. Let's look at some scriptures that tell us about forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's fault. That is so important. You know what? Nobody's perfect, right? We all blow it. We all say stupid things. We're always making mistakes. We're supposed to make allowances for other people's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. How many times were you a knucklehead, you know, with the Lord? How many times did you... uh, insult our Lord. I mean, we do that kind of stuff all the time, don't we? And he just forgives us readily, doesn't he? So you must forgive others. Those are strong words, isn't it? And then Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. So, Jesus is not teaching that our eternal destiny is based on our forgiving other people. However, it does teach that our relationship with God, our Lord, will be damaged if we refuse to forgive those who have offended us. In other words, if you will not forgive someone, then that relationship with God has now been hindered. And it cannot be restored until you confess that sin of unforgiveness. That's how it works. And then if you, don't, if you don't give up your unforgiveness, you become dried out again. Your soul becomes dry. Those are hard words, aren't they? And it's because unforgiveness is a sin. And when we have unrepented sin in our life, that creates a barrier between you and God because it's like a cancer that's eating away at your soul that you want to hang on to. And you won't be able to drink of that living water that our soul so desperately needs. Now, perhaps some of you are probably saying to yourself that, hey, I'm good. Um, There's not too much unforgiveness in my life. Uh, After all, you know, yeah, there's some people that I harbor a little bit of uh, unforgiveness and bitterness towards. But you know what? They didn't ask for forgiveness, so I'm not going to give it. That's not what the word says. We have to forgive, regardless of whether or not they have asked forgiveness. And it's important to point out that just because you forgive someone, that doesn't make what they did to you right. You are not saying that that person, whatever they did, was okay. Forgiveness is something that goes on in our own hearts, in our own souls. It's for our own benefit that we forgive, It gives you that peace of mind. We are called to forgive regardless of what the other person does. They may even throw it back in your face, but you have done what God has asked you to do, and you will have that peace that passes all understanding. So remember when I said that if you want restoration but the other party is unwilling, the answer is the same, still forgive. Uh, At this time... Each one of the leaders at the table has a questionnaire, and I want them to pass it out to you. And we're going to take a little test. Now, this is for you personally. You're not to share it with others. It's something that you need to uh, be completely honest. So don't peek at each other's papers to see how they are scored. And just to put yourself at ease, the first time I took this, I did really, really bad. Okay, so <laughs> I, I took, I've since taken it again, and I did a lot better, I am, I am pleased to say. Praise the Lord, I am pleased to say. But please, let God speak into your heart as you look at this. And it's very personal, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself, be honest with God. Question number one, I don't have any friends or family who have told me I need to forgive someone else. Don't other people? We all have people in our lives that we go, wow, they really are struggling with unforgiveness. So say, yes, this is true. I don't have any friends that tell me that I need to forgive someone. Question number two. I can think of my offender without negative feelings of stress, anger, or bitterness. That's a tough one, isn't it? I do not keep track of ways that other people have hurt me. Sometimes we'll keep a list, don't we? It's like, you know, put it in the back of your Bible of all things, you know. This person did this and this and this and this. No, we're not to keep a record of wrongs. Number four, I do not say bad things about those people who have caused me pain. Ouch. Number five, I don't share my story of hurt or betrayal repeatedly to other people. Number six, when I'm in public, I do not go out of my way to avoid the person who hurt me. I mean, if you were to see them at Target and they hadn't spotted you yet, do you go down a different aisle and say, I can get that later? <laughs> Would it be uncomfortable to talk to this person face-to-face? That's a big one, isn't it? Number eight, I can be completely ad- objective about my experience despite my painful past. Number nine, I have no doubts about my self-worth regardless of what happened to me. That's a big one. Oftentimes, if you've been abused in any way, that's a big, that's a big deal. Your self-worth has been attacked, hasn't it? Number 10, I never think of ways I'd like to get revenge against people who hurt me. Oh, sometimes you just daydream about what you could do to that person because they hurt you. Or my favorite is, oh, I wished I could have remembered to just let them have it, you know, and have that, that, that thought of, wow, I'm just going to tell them like, like it is and how I feel about what they did. You know, you, and you daydream about telling them off. Number 11. I can be happy for my offender if they succeed and do well. Oh my goodness, now that's asking too much, right? (laughs) Number 12, I do not struggle to accept and receive love from other people or my family. 13, I easily forgive myself when I make poor decisions that impact my life. When you're struggling with unforgiveness, you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Fifteen, I don't have difficulty expressing myself or telling people how I feel. Do you bottle everything up? Sixteen, I do not have a problem trying to please other people. People who have been abused, they're so afraid of being further abused, they become people pleasers in hopes of not being abused again. Number seventeen, I do not let people take advantage of me. That's part of the letting people or trying to please other people. They often will take advantage of you. Eighteen, I do not let other people think of... Let me try that one again. I do not let what other people think of me determine my value. Our value is in the Lord, right? Amen? Number 19, I can usually embrace the truth even when a lie feels true. Oh, I tell you what, the enemy can really lie to us, and he can speak what I call Christianese. Number 20, I don't compare myself with other people, and I don't feel that my life is unfair. I know someone who, uh, I hear this comment from them quite often, my life is just unfair, this is unfair, I'm being treated unfair, everybody's out to get me, and it's like, oh my goodness, you poor thing. Um, 22, I don't believe my health has been affected by my struggle to forgive or restore a relationship. And we'll touch on that a little bit more later. I have learned new insights that have helped me by recounting my pain in my mind. I am as close to God today as when I first began trying to forgive my offender. What has it done to your spiritual life? Are you closer to God by resisting the forgiveness? 25, I'm experiencing freedom through forgiveness. And we actually have a scorecard here. Um, One to four, if you said false one to four times, congratulations, you're doing well. Hopefully, uh, this will help you identify some areas where you need to uh, work on it. Um, If you had five to nine faults... This would be a clear indication that you are working through some forgiveness issues that have yet to be resolved. And then it has, 10 to 14 says, forgiveness is a definite issue for you, and your struggle is keeping you from the joy and peace God wants for your life. And then, of course, 15 plus, at this point, you may want to consider serious professional counseling to help you. Um, (laughs) And, of course, who's our wonderful counselor? God, amen. So what have you learned? You know, trust me, we all need work in this area. Some more than others, we're all in a different place. But the point is that forgiveness is a key component in restoration to God and to others. See, when Nehemiah recognized that someone needed to restore the city of Jerusalem, he knew he had to do something. Likewise, when we recognize that there is an area in our lives that has been torn down through whatever hurt, doesn't matter how bad that hurt was, we must seek to restore it. Now, am I saying that you have to be besties with this person? Of course not, especially someone who's despicable. I'm not asking you to, to spark up a, a new friendship Although that's not impossible because with God all things are possible, amen? But, you know, that's more the forgiveness is for yourself, for that cleansing in your own soul. And it's important that you restore, if not your own, you know, your, restore your own forgiveness in your life. Because nothing gets better with time. It seems like it gets worse and worse. When I have seen unforgiveness in people's lives, that gets Worse and worse. They become more bitter, more withdrawn. Their relationship with the Lord becomes more hindered. They feel like they've dried up. Their faith is, is, is rocky at best. See, nothing gets better when you put it off, when you don't restore a relationship or your forgiveness. Still holding on to unforgiveness, still not convinced? Well, hey, I've got some facts for you. And this is from mental health professionals. <clears throat> Interesting. You know, I always like to find out what's out there. What is the world saying? So there's not only spiritual risks of unforgiveness, there are also health risks. And here we go. First one, chronic stress response. And I'm going, what in the world? And then it says cardiovascular issues. In other words, you have heart problems. I mean, not only do you have a heart problem, you have a heart problem. You have high blood pressure which can cause brain hemorrhages and psychological disorders. You also have short-term responses, which um, makes you overreact to situations, and it also impacts your social and cognitive behaviors. You also get depressed. And if you're depressed long enough, you become mentally unstable, and you, of course, have trust issues. And then in extreme situations, you have paranoid personality disorder. Wow. And, of course, that's kind of going crazy. So, you know, don't let it dwell in your heart. Deal with it. And then I loved what they said at the very end. It says, forgiveness facilitates the process of recovery from a mental trauma. It is very important for the mental stability of a person to let out all the negative emotions, and forgiveness considerably suppresses the negative stressors. So, you know what? God told you this in the Word. He says, don't do this because it's not good for you. He's not doing it because he he wants to be unkind to us. He's saying I want you to deal with this. I want you to forgive because it is eating you up inside. That's why he's saying, please do it. You see, God knows what he's talking about. Nothing good comes from unforgiveness, and restoration comes from forgiveness. So wrapping up. Hopefully, you or someone you know can benefit from taking, you know, this little quiz here that kind of gives you an idea where you're at in that journey in forgiveness. You see, God only wants the best for you. He wants you whole. He wants you restored to him. And if you have trouble forgiving someone, then confess it to him. 1 John 1, 5 through 5-9 says, This is the message which I have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When you're in unforgiveness, it's a very dark place, isn't it? If we say that we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we all sin. We all struggle with these areas. But there's a solution to that. Just confess it. Turn away from it. Give your hurt, give your pain, give your unforgiveness to the Lord, and you will breathe that fresh air of freedom. And that first step to all of this is restoring your relationship to Jesus. And, you know, you'll find as you grow in him, as you get your focus off of the wrongs that have been uh, done to you and get your eyes on Jesus you will find that pretty soon those things, they fade away. And you will find yourself able to forgive more and more and more. That's the glory of it because the Holy Spirit is now in you. He's guiding you. He's he's helping you to to forgive. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, For the Spirit... Excuse me, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that wonderful? And we each, if you have received Christ as your Savior, He is in you. He will help you to forgive. You just have to be willing. You have to recognize that this has been eating you up inside, and you want to give it over to the Lord so that He can do that restoration process in you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, while there is so much in this study that we can glean from, this lesson about restoration, Father, if there is any lady in this room that struggles with forgiving someone, would you just, even now, speak into her heart, Lord, minister to her, Lord. Give her the, the, the courage to, to forgive and to let it go, Lord. And to restore her life, restore her relationship with you, restore her relationship with others. So, Lord, we're so thankful that you are always forgiving, ready to help, ready to pour out your spirit upon us, ready to love us. Help us to be like that, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.